Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. Now, we've been taking a little break from the Dutch Sheets book to discuss this idea of visions and revelations and access to the spirit realm. Last week, we were talking about Colossians 2.18 and we discussed at the end kind of the pride that can come along with seeking these revelations or claiming that we've had them. So you had some other verses along those lines that you wanted to share. Do you want to start with 2 Corinthians 12.1? I'll read 12.1 and then give you the context. Okay. 2 Corinthians 12.1. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, let me give you the context. Okay. This is toward the end of what's known as Paul's fool's speech. All right. Okay. Because of the boasting of his critics in Corinth, and that goes back to 1 Corinthians, which I'm now preaching through at uh, Gospel Grace Fellowship when certain sermons when it's my turn to preach. And I taught through Second Corinthians some years ago, but the point is they were making claims to have some superior status based on certain attributes or gifts or things that they had and dividing the body of Christ. I'm a Paul, I'm a Peter, I'm a Cephas, I'm of Christ. Okay if Christ were one of the possible sects, and status, who's the greater, who has the greater gift. And they were looking at Paul as unspiritual and actually rather embarrassing. Right. So I've just uh, got, by the way, recently, through my local software, a fantastic commentary on Second Corinthians the Pillar series. I didn't have that before. I read this section. It's amazingly good. So what is apparent is that what made boasting necessary was the boasting of his opponents who were drawing people away from the gospel toward their experiences. Okay. They claimed to have higher order experiences, better gifts, better ways to be pious. They claim their own visions and, and revelations. And Paul is making his full speech because he claims it's foolish to boast about such things, but he was compelled to do so in order to refute the people who were already doing it and get them back to where they should be, which is Christ crucified. Okay. And so in his fool speech, which starts in chapter 11, he goes to this thing of visions and revelations. Clearly, his critics in Corinth claim to have them. All right. So what we have here is most people remember this section concerning the thorn in the flesh. I want to know what that was. But the bigger picture is far more important. Right. Okay, so 
the critics of Paul claim to have had experiences similar to the one we talked about last week in Colossians 2.18. Some yes. sort of a visit to the third heaven and having access to a realm that we can't see and that we're not there now and it's for the future. Okay. So in order to protect the larger flock from the claims of these revelators, Paul is going to share, albeit in a muted way by using the second person, or third person, actually. I know a man. What is right. that? Right. That's mm -hmm. third person, right? Yes. By using the third person when he's actually referring to himself, because he is considering himself a fool for sharing this, but he was compelled to do so. Right. As I said in a bit, a bit ago, I just got a new commentary on 2 Corinthians. I wish I would have had it. It wasn't written yet when I taught through 2 Corinthians. All right. Mark Seafried, Pillar Series. I think D.A. Carson's a general editor. He has a great section on this vision that Paul talks about. But he okay. says this. Let me just quote Seafried. Having twice requested permission to speak foolishly before he entered into boasting, he twice expresses reserve about boasting in the midst of doing so. Okay. So, as with his request to speak as a fool, a mild statement is followed by a stronger one. Paul now sets aside the reserve as expressed in 1130, if boasting is necessary, it states the matter directly. Boasting is necessary. It is necessary, of course, says Seafried, only because of the Corinthians who have been attracted to the boasting of Paul's opponents. As Paul immediately indicates, boasting is not useful. It violates the meaning and purpose for which the gifts are given within the churches. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, for the common good. Let me just comment on that. I am so glad I got this commentary. I wish, like I said, it hadn't been written when I previously taught through 2 Corinthians in Sunday school. This is so important. 1 Corinthians, what I'm preaching through right now, it's all about not exalting one over another, not claiming superior status, not claiming to be greater than ordinary Christians, not claiming they have some gift that makes you the great person, but what gifts God does give are for the common good. Right. And every member of the body, however they may appear to us, is attached to the head. Yes. Okay, and the warning is to not belittle people that you think are lesser. Okay. It's very similar to last week we talked about passage in Luke where the thousands are coming in and Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Right. So the bigger context is don't exalt one over against another. Don't claim to have some special status other Believers do not have. 
everything God does give is for the common good. Don't exalt yourself. Don't be a hypocrite. And don't claim to be somehow God's great person of God compared to these other dolts. Right. Okay. There were people doing that. And in their estimation, Paul was very lacking. And they he quotes them. He's, his speech is contemptible. His personal presence is unimpressive. And so they're using that to make themselves look good. Okay. And so his full speech is something he is against, but compelled to do. Otherwise, the false teachers are going to get the upper hand. Right. And then that leads into what he's going to say here right. in Second Corinthians 12. Right. So that's the context of the full speech. Okay. So very interesting. Uh, I suggest you learn that section. It's amazing. Yes. So he starts his speech by calling himself a fool. <laughs> Not something you hear every day. And he cites what his critics say about it. Yeah. He had an experience. And the outcome of it would be the sort of thing that the great health and wealth teachers of our day would despise. Right. They wouldn't want it. Yes. So that being said, 2 Corinthians 12, 1, he's, he goes to this statement that he says, as it is about him, we know that. Right. He distanced himself from it because it's loathsome to him to even talk about it. Okay. But he has to. Otherwise, the other guys, they'll all go listen to them. 2 Corinthians 12, 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a man was caught into the third heaven. Verse 3. And I know how such a man whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. God knows. Verse 4, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. That goes through verse 4. Okay. Right. Now, years ago, I pointed out that the people who write books now who claim experiences like that, they're plenty happy to speak about their experience. Right. And tell what they heard. I wrote an article in the 90s about people claiming to visit heaven or hell. And Yes, and I think that was issue 54. Wow. Well, that goes back always. It's still on, on our site, visiting heaven and hell, I think that's uh, what it's called. And then there's issue 71, Rick Joyner's, Rick Joyner claimed to go to heaven. But how is it? Here's, here's a question all of us should ask. If Paul, who had an experience like that, who wouldn't, we wouldn't even know about, had the false claimants of such experience, not boasted about theirs, he had one, and it was not to be spoken. Right. Content. And they're blabbing. They have some great, great thing. It may not even... There may have probably been just deception. Yes. Listen, God doesn't give us a gift so that we know we're better than the other Christians. 
Right. That is not a valid gift. Okay. Now, the pietism and elitism is an epidemic in modern Christendom. Absolutely. And it's as if, and particularly evangelicals, uh, if you study church history, evangelicalism in America, where we are, was birthed in pietism. Yes. You know, and people like, hold up the Puritans as these excellent Christians that we all ought to emulate. Yet, if you actually study history and know about the Puritans, you know, there probably were some solid Christians there, but it was all pietism. Yeah, it's that's American Christianity. If you don't have a pietistic claim that makes you better than other Christians, then you don't have anything to say. You have no standing. Yes. So I wrote an article on pietism, and I made the claim that being an ordinary Christian is an extraordinary thing. Yes, that is one of my favorite quotes of yours. Well, I I haven't read somebody else say that. I suppose somebody has, but I'll stand by it. I believe it's biblical. Okay. First Corinthians teaches it. The chapter on gifts teaches it. Paul is teaching it. Yes. Whatever experiences or gifts we may have, we never transcend in such a way that we're superior to those dreaded ordinary Christians. Right. Now, let me make a couple caveats. It's true that in the end, when the Lord comes, there will be rewards and there will be lack of rewards. It's, that's mentioned in Second First Corinthians. Okay. I just recently preached on that. But it says in First Corinthians 4 or 5, do not go on passing judgment before the time. Right, and that's important. Right. Wait till the Lord comes, who knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay, so that is a future time. We need to wait. And Jesus is doing the judging, not us. Right. So we get deceived, like the Corinthians did, by the claimants of the visionary experiences. Right. The people that can draw a big crowd. Luke 12, we looked at that. The people who have some personality, some ability to draw a crowd, to get people to like them, to follow them on social media, claiming to be some grand person of God. The fact is, we can't even know that. If it even was true, Paul considered himself a fool to say anything that might imply it. Okay. Even though he is an apostle. Right. Okay. And not inferior to the greatest. So the point is, as soon as you see that going on, don't get excited and send your money or go to the meeting. Listen to Jesus. Beware. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Okay. And know this. If we decide, I am just ordinary. I know the Lord. I believe my sins are forgiven. I know I'm part of the body of Christ. Sometimes I'm wondering if I even have anything to offer. 
you're much closer to what Paul's talking about than these grand claimants to power and authority. Yes. And when Paul talks about the members of the body, one is not to say to the other, I have no need of you. Right. God knows. And so as soon as you start talking about who's the greatest, you're in trouble. Okay. Right. And that comes up in Luke as well. So the unity of the body of Christ. We don't know who's the greatest. That's for God to decide later. We can't even know. We don't make claims that would make us look fabulous compared to the other ordinary folks, the dreaded ordinary Christians. Now, maybe that some have special reward, but only God knows that, and that's not for us to know. That's one caveat. There are extraordinary, but we don't know who they are. Right. God does. Now, and somebody said, well, what about Hebrews 11? Well, that's scripture. Yeah. So God's saying that Abraham was extraordinary. Well, God said it. That's not us saying it. Yes. So I, I saw a sermon on that, and this guy, I think, was Puritan. Okay. And he was listing all the Puritan heroes that should be in in uh, Hebrews 11, only add on to the list. Oh, wow. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, no, that is false. You have no authority to add to Romans, excuse me, Hebrews 11. Yeah. Okay? You can't know that. Because we can't know the thoughts and intents of their heart. Right. That's yeah. unknown. We can judge by fruit, but because mm -hmm. a whole lot of people love somebody who read their books, doesn't mean that God's going to give them the greatest reward in eternity because he knows some things that we don't know. Well, and there have been, I can think of a couple of different people just right off the top of my head who wrote really popular books that, that people actually really held up as wonderful, godly people who have since completely apostatized and no longer even claimed to be Christian. Right. So we could that without knowing. And that kind of brings us to the second caveat. Okay. I'm saying there are no extraordinary Christians, but being an ordinary Christian is an extraordinary thing. Yeah, that's in that article that I wrote. I also want another caveat. I think part of the reason this is so prevalent in American Christianity is that Christendom, there's this claim that America has a covenant with God, which we already talked about. Right. Not true. Man cannot obligate God to a covenant. <laughs> exactly. And there's no authoritative prophet like Moses to speak for God and say, yay, I make a covenant with you, America. God okay. Done that. Yes. Okay, so we talked about that. But that being the case, and there's a lot of churches in this country, the assumption is that somebody's in one of the churches, they're a Christian. Right. Okay. So evangelicalism in the late 19th century, early 20th century, had a series of, I mean, this has gone on in our entire history, but these revivals. Okay. We've talked about Finney before that even. And so people would go to church because that's what they do. They're raised in church. Well, a revival of some sort happens. person comes and they meet Christ in some cases. Not everybody, but some do. Okay. Well, they interpret that as going from an ordinary Christian 
to a spirit-filled Christian. <laughs> right. Uh, and reality is they went from an unbeliever to a believer. Right. So they they interpreted their conversion to a secondary higher order experience. Yes. So the Christianized unbelievers are the ordinary Christians, but in fact, they're not Christian. Right. And the one with the experience is the extraordinary Christian. Okay. So that's a category here. If you don't know Christ, even if you're raised in a church, you're lost. You're not yes. a Christian. Okay. So with those caveats, God knows who's doing a better job. And some people, when they're converted, think they just became an extraordinary Christian. And in fact, they just became a Christian. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we have the church of Corinth there due to Paul's ministry there. Okay. There were pagans before. Yes. Some were Jewish, but the church was there through the gospel. But in that context, they're starting to come up with these groups claiming to be extraordinary, having something that ordinary Christians lack, having greater gifts, having greater experiences, having greater knowledge, having something that you lack if you're just one of those mundane Christians who only have forgiveness of sins, the grace of God, the hope of heaven, the joy of fellowship, being part of the body of Christ, love one another, participate in everything God's provided, you poor wretch, is that all you got? Okay. Our meeting. You need to come and get the power, and you need to get slain under the power of the Spirit. You need to hear from a guy who visited heaven. Right. And then they, and you should hear our music. Wow, we, we have. Yeah. They are masters of emotionally manipulative yeah. uh, music yeah, that will make you call, have an experience. Call the glory down. We're going to have Sinai. <laughs> yeah. Getting the fact that that was a scene of apostasy. Yep. Uh, come on. This is not right. We need to stand up the ordinary, beloved saints who know the Lord, who are being taken advantage of. Paul's full speech happens in order to protect the integrity of the body of Christ. Yes. The people that are very much like the ones we're citing here, massive followings, claiming to go to the third heaven, Claiming to go speak to the angels and the dead saints, and making all this glorious claim, making others feel like I'm not getting results. There's something wrong with me, and I don't know what's wrong. I can't get. I can't get what I need. And so, this is warning. Don't believe it. That's what caused Paul's whole speech to be written at all. Yes. And these people are still making these claims. This is an older article, but issue 71, Rick Joyner, and he's still out there and still claiming these same things. And he does claim to have gone to the third heaven paradise and gotten revelations from Jesus. Right. And so there's Rick many Joyner, more after him. So I wrote that in 2002. Rick Joyner is a person promoting the Colossian heresy. And that's what I said in that article. Yes. He's still doing it. He hasn't repented. He's also in line with the false opponents of Paul, the opponents of Paul in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Right. Okay. These, this is deception. This is not piety. 
This is not power. This is not being alive in the Spirit. It's deception. The Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. God cannot lie. The Holy Spirit cannot lie. Right. We'll put words in the mouth of the Spirit by uttering false prophecies is blaspheming the name of God. Absolutely. And then before we run out of time, just to bring this back to 2 Corinthians 12, 4. So Paul's caught up into paradise, but what he heard was inexpressible words, okay? Things he cannot say because he's not permitted to speak them. Right. Not that he couldn't understand them, not that they were unutterable as far as physically not being able to say them. It was they he were not permitted to say them. Right. This was not something God chose to reveal at this time to the church. Right. They were meaningful words, but they're not to be revealed now. Yes. The false teachers always reveal their words. Right. What they heard. They write books about it. Okay. So, again, this commentary, Mark Seafried deals with that in a very eloquent way. And he points out what this means and what it doesn't mean. And then he says in verse 5, that Paul says, On behalf of such a man... I will boast, but not on my own behalf. I will not boast, except regard to my weaknesses. So both men are Paul. Yes. One is the one who had an experience he's not even sure in the body or not, but it was him. When he heard meaningful words, but not legal to tell people about it. Okay. That's something God chose to reveal. And his boasting is only there to thwart these other ones who are claiming such experiences, but they're not even valid. And the fact that they're boasting about it shows that we ought not to listen to any of them. Yes. And then Paul will go on to talk about uh, the result of having had the experience. Right. As you mentioned earlier in this program, people focus on the thorn in the flesh, but really we need to look at why he had the thorn in the flesh in the first place. Right. And this echoes, by the way, much of what you see in Luke Acts. Okay. For example, the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay. Three of the disciples are there. Yes. Who else was there? Moses and Elijah. Right. In Luke 9. What were they talking about? Jesus is literally in the Greek exodus, which he's about to accomplish. Okay. Moses is there. There's a link. And, and then it talks about his departure. He's going to ascend ultimately to heaven. So they come down. There's the demonized person. There's problems. And then even after... Jesus deals with this, they they started discussing who is the greatest. Right. Okay. And when they discuss who's the greatest, or pick out places of honor at the banquet, they get rebuked, or they get a parable that rebukes them. 
Okay. The danger is when we start talking about who's the greatest. Absolutely. And Paul is warning about that. Right. And then you go into Acts, you have people like a false prophet who claimed to be the great power of God. Yes. Or the person smitten because he didn't give God the glory. Right. So Paul is giving God the glory and saying, I have experiences that rival anything they're talking about, but I saw and heard things not permissible to utter. And then he'll go on to talk about his thorn in the flesh. So what is astounding to me is this. Given that we have the scripture explaining the danger, teaching the truth, talking about the unity of the body of Christ, the fact that we are attached to the head, whatever gift we may have, and that all believers have access to the throne of grace, that all believers, whatever is legitimate and given to the church, is given to all in the sense that we, if one has a gift I don't have, we all participate because we're part and parcel of the body. Yes. It's sort of common good. But the elitists, the people like we mentioned this Rick Joyner in 2002, they don't even blush when they, they're, they're transgressing every boundary and they make it a claim to fame. Right. And uh, where's the fear of God? It's shockingly. I mean, some of their claims are so bold that it should be stunning. But as you say, they don't even blush. Why would anybody follow that and say, oh, good, I got to hear this? Right. It's the same thing that led to the murmuring in the wilderness. Yes. They soon forgot God delivered them from Egypt. Why? Well, that was his purpose, to make a people keep his promise to Abram. Abraham, who becomes Abraham. They forget about that. Okay. They remember against Moses. Yeah. And they want to go back to Egypt. Yep. And that happens. And in, in it's in the Bible to warn us. Don't murmur against what God's provided for you, for me, in Christ. Amen. I have a kind of ordinary life. My children aren't easy to raise. I, 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 the people I work with are not very nice. Uh, some of the fellow Christians have flaws like I do. This isn't so great. And go to the meeting where you're going to have an extraordinary experience and escape from the mundane and have a taste of the heavenly vision now. Wow. And it is a trap that will not lead to piety, but potentially to apostasy. Yes. We've seen it happen. Yep. We Once sure have. Bubble pops and they give up on being the heavenly glorious Christian. They just become an atheist. Yep. Did it happen. All right. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. 
We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramus. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.